Welcome to the People's Show, coming to you from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Busy show, as always, on Tuesdays. Let's jump right into it uh, with our good friend Mark Schofield from SB Nation, NFL writer, QB analyst. Love chatting QBs with them also. Uh, check out his F1 work uh, as well, uh, at Mark Schofield on social media. Uh, let's talk to him. Mark, how are you? I am doing well, my friend. It is great to be with you as we are each Tuesday, Bick. And, you know, winding down the F1 season, final race of the year coming up this, yeah. this weekend. But we are in the thick of it when it comes to the National Football League. A Super Bowl rematch on Monday night, which was absolutely fascinating. And I'm sure we will touch on that and more. But as always, just a pleasure to be here today. Uh, actually, just really quickly on the F1, um, I, I'm assuming you weren't in, in Vegas, uh, but uh, thoughts on the Vegas race? I was not in Vegas. I did have the opportunity to go, but my daughter and I run a 5K every season. Right on. Um, and the 5K was set for 8 a.m. East Coast time on Sunday morning. So with a with an F1 race set to go <laughs> off at 1 a.m. that morning, um, I wasn't going to be able to go out to the race and then get back in time. So... I was not there. Simone did set a PR, uh, her best 5K time ever. We're very excited there about you that. Go. But it did get off Vegas to a very rocky start. Obviously, we had the Carlos Sainz Jr. crash in FP1 that you know destroyed his SF23. They had to shut that down. Two and a half hour delay. They send everybody home before FP2, which starts at like almost 3 a.m. local time. So it was a very rocky start. But I think it ended up producing one of the best, if not the best, races of the season. There was a lot of overtaking. Mercedes, for example, earlier today posted that, you know, Lewis Hamilton had 15 overtakes in that one race alone, most of any single race this season. You know, you had a final lap pass from Charles Leclerc on uh, Sergio Perez to take second in that Grand Prix. The drivers warmed up to it over the week. Max Verstappen was sort of you know, pushing back on the event and the spectacle and the show and everything going into the race, but seemed a lot more excited after the race itself with how it played out. So I think ultimately it was a good race. I'm curious if next year they lean more into the race side and not the spectacle and celebrity side, but they promised a big show and they promised good race and they certainly delivered. Uh, if you want to check out your stuff, SB Nation, I saw you had interviews with uh, people from McLaren and uh, another uh, racer as well, right? Yeah, I had. So in the days leading up to the Las Vegas Grand Prix, I had Valtteri Bottas from Alfa right. Romeo. Got to talk to him. Then Oscar Piastri from McLaren. Uh, I actually swept McLaren this year because I had Lando Norris early <laughs> in the right. year. CEO Zach Brown and Oscar Piastri. And as that unfolded, they climbed up the standards and they're now in P4 and the constructors. So maybe I'm a good luck charm, maybe not, because they had a bit of a struggle in Las Vegas. But you know, there's some great stuff up on the website, SBNation.com. You can check that stuff out as we get ready for the final F1 race of the season. Schofield bump. That's what we're calling it here. Uh, uh, all right. Let's get ahead to uh, the NFL now. Uh, before we get to week 12, we always look back and uh, your throw of the week in week 11. I am going to give you a winner's bracket and a loser's bracket. How about that? <laughs> okay. We will start on the loser side, and we saw it last night from Patrick Mahomes. We have How many times have we talked about the corner route, right? We've talked about mm -hmm. that route over and over and over again. And you saw a prime example in the second half, ball in the right hash mark. He hits Watson, the tight end, on a corner route going towards the left sideline. 
and if you were listening to the commentary, Troy Aikman talked, and it mirrors a lot of what we've talked about, the difficulty of throwing that route, because you have got the, the defender and underneath sort of trail coverage on the back hip, so you've got to get it up and over that player, but you've got that extra defender in the sideline, so you've got to drop it down in time. Mahomes does it with a free runner in his lap. It was an absolutely, absolutely tremendous throw from Patrick Mahomes. One of many great throws he had on that night. Some of his best throws were actually incompletions. I mean, the MVS drop that could have won the game, the throw in the fourth and 25, which was an absolute rocket that went through Watson's hands. Mahomes had a number of great throws in that game, but that one certainly stood out. Winner's bracket, Josh Allen, the touchdown, the catch-and-run touchdown to the slot receiver, uh, Shakir out of Boise State. I loved that throw. And again, you know, people like Troy Aikman, Tony Romo certainly know a lot more about the quarterback position than I have or ever will. But in that moment, Romo broke down how Allen's looking to his left. He's going through his progressions and he's got a little bit of traffic in front of him, a little bit of pressure in his lap. And he has to make this throw flat footed. Can't step into it. But it's an absolute rocket. Hits the receiver in stride. You get the catch and run touchdown. So two of the NFL's best quarterbacks. I give you two throws, one from the loser's bracket, one from the winner's bracket. All right, so I actually want to talk about kind of that throw and just in, in general, like, footwork. Because we, we focus so much on, like, the the classic seven-on-seven. Seven, like, you do your hitch, you, you drop back, and you step into it, and you throw. And we think, all right, that's how it's supposed to look. And you're talking about this play where it's muddied pocket and Josh Allen's flat-footed here. I actually saw C.J. Stroud do a throw. I think it was the touchdown to Tank Dell where, like, he, he's not fading away, but his feet aren't planted, and he's kind of fading forwards, and his feet really aren't set. When you're going through the process of evaluating a player, a, a quarterback, you know, how, how much is off-platform throws kind of part of – the the evaluation more and more each year is the sort of the simple answer there but let's put a little more meat on that bone because it used to be that you'd want to see fluid precise teaching tape type of footwork right i remember you know when i first sort of got into this and you know from my own background playing the position you want to see okay you know seven step drop you want to see the three big right feet and the crossovers the hitch and throw and all of that stuff and you want to see the quarterback you know on their toes, you know, driving through, finishing through the front foot. That's all well and good when you're throwing from a nice clean pocket and you like to have that foundation. So when the quarterback has that nice clean pocket, the footwork is crisp, it's all timed up because there's a timing nature to this as well. You know, it's not just, you know, in terms of the visual and how it looks, drops and quarterback drops are set to sync up with the routes themselves. And, you know, a five-step drop might have intermediate routes, seven-step drop, you have a deeper route. So, you want it to all sync up. But with the way the game has changed, with how athletic we are seeing the defenders on the other side of the ball, when you've got people like Miles Garrett, who's a 275-power speed rusher that can obliterate your game pan and your pocket in the blink of an eye, you have to be able to make those off-platform throws. And you have to be able to make those throws still with enough velocity and placement that the route concept will be successful. And so, you know, when I first started getting into this and evaluating quarterbacks, you know, professionally, not sort of amateurly, you know, it's, it would lead me to ha- looking at a player like Brad Kaya. Remember him from Miami? Right. And thinking, oh, man, this, this guy is great. He's teaching tape at the quarterback position. Playing quarterback in the NFL is not a teaching tape exercise. 
it's a make stuff happen, solve problems the only way you can type of exercise. And so you need to have that ability to throw off platform. You need to still be able to get velocity and placement. And so the more we do this, the more we look at quarterbacks and what it takes to be successful at the next level, you have to have that ability to deliver strong, accurate throws still on time and in rhythm as best as you can from awkward platforms. Because I think when we look at okay, you know the, the the transition to okay athletic quarterbacks and everyone just in their mind maybe pictures like a Justin Fields and think okay you need a sprinter at QB to create after the play and then I look at someone like Brock Purdy who again I've been critical of but I do feel like at times he throws off platform and there's there's athleticism within that to be able to make that type of throw and it, it's it's different type of athlete that we're talking about it, it's functional movement rather than say. Uh, I hate to pick on the guy, but like a Jared Goff was a bit more of a statue or Kirk Cousins where like that's going to get outmoded and just being able to make these constant off-platform throws is more the the tradition we're going to see moving forward. Right, and I think, look, athleticism at the quarterback position is now a prerequisite, I Mm -hmm. think, but I think there's sort of a sliding scale, a spectrum to it. I mean, nobody would have ever said Tom Brady was the most athletic quarterback in the NFL. But he still had enough athleticism to him where it was going to be that sort of, you know, Jared Goff type of athleticism where, you know, he's not going to run around. You're not going to design run game packages around what he does. But he has enough footwork and athleticism in his feet to create space, to create the opportunity to make an off-platform throw. And then certainly at the other end of the spectrum, we have players like Justin Fields, like Kyler Murray, like Lamar Jackson, where... You might design run game and you will design run game packages around them, but they could certainly create explosive plays on an almost down-to-down basis in the passing game thanks to their their athleticism. So I think it's sort of a, a slotted scale. So yes, athleticism at the quarterback position in today's NFL is a prerequisite. It's a gotta-have-it kind of thing. It's a mandatory trait. You can get by and be successful as a quarterback if you're more on the, say, the, the Brady, Goff, Burrow, Purdy is another great example of a kind of spectrum because you could still create those opportunities. You could create space as a passer. You could extend plays when necessary. But if you're a player like, say, a Lamar Jackson or a Kyler Murray, even a player like Trevor Lawrence, we saw Jacksonville this week lean into him and do some run game stuff with him mm-hmm. as well, which I think opened up a bit more of their playbook. You have to have that athleticism. It's sort of a sliding scale of how much do you have it? How much can we lean into it? Or is it just a survival mode kind of thing where you need it in today's NFL and you have enough to get by? Uh, let's go to some news. Steelers today announcing uh, they, they let go of Matt Canada. Now, he's been much maligned here for the past couple of seasons. Uh, I, I think long term, they'll probably see some improvements because it's hard to uh, regress from where they were. But in the short term, for the rest of the season, what does it mean for Kenny Pickett? I mean, it's it's never easy for a young quarterback to have to sort of change things up in year two, year one, year three. We've seen this before with other young quarterbacks where you get that offensive coordinator change. I mean, a prior example, Marcus Mariota, who went through different offensive coordinators during his start in Tennessee. We certainly saw with the New England Patriots and Mac Jones last year, you go from Josh McDaniels to Matt Patricia and now Bill O'Brien in year three. And I don't think many would be surprised if we get to April and the Patriots are drafting a quarterback with their first pick in the draft. I mean, you have seen throughout the course of NFL history, NFL recent history, offensive coordinator changes, while they might appease sort of the larger fan base, while they might lead to perhaps 
a quick bump for an offense. We saw it last week with Buffalo, right? They fired Ken Dorsey. They hand 32 on a good Jets defense the following week. It may provide a sort of short-term bump, but the bigger picture here is the Kenny Pickett development angle to this. It may be a setback. Now, look, Pickett is a smart, intelligent quarterback. You know, everything I've been told by people much closer to him, you know, than I am is that, look, he'll pick you up. Whatever changes they're going to make, whatever tweaks will the, there will be to the playbook, to the game plan almost overnight. So maybe wow. it won't be a problem, but this is something to monitor because, again, it's all about developing the young quarterback when you have that rookie, you know, that young quarterback on that rookie deal. Years one, years two, years three. They are so critical. And changing offensive coordinators, changing play callers in the middle of that, that could lead to a bit of, I don't want to say regression, but perhaps stagnation in development, which is kind of where we were. I mean, let's not forget, I pointed this out on social media on Monday. The following quarterbacks have all thrown six touchdown passes this year. Tommy DeVito, Zach Wilson, Will Levis, Desmond Ritter, and yes, Kenny Pickett. And I think if you're a Steelers fan, that's a concerning statistic because the other group of those quarterbacks, they either got the job late in the season or have been benched already. And now you've got your guy that was your starter week one in that same category. It's not a great category to be in right now. Talking to Mark Schofield as we do on Tuesdays here on the People Show. Uh, on the other side of that game, uh, Dorian Thompson uh, Robinson uh, takes over for uh, Deshaun Watson. And it, it looked like a simplified game plan, but still able to execute uh, as best as he could. Gets 165. There's an, an interception in there. But uh, impressions of him where it was a more normal week for him because he didn't have to find out he's starting basically hours before the game. Right. And I, th I thought he was more comfortable within their offense. He was more confident. The sort of the decision making seemed, you know, he, he seemed more at ease with the playbook. He didn't seem overwhelmed by it at times. And like you said, certainly a more simplified offensive game plan. They had a week to get ready. So it was a situation where they knew what he was comfortable running. You know, they had some run game elements for him. He's certainly a player that, you know, checks that competitive toughness box. I mean, they had that sort of reverse end around early in the game where you've got him out in front as a lead blocker, you know, made some good throws. I mean, this is their recipe going forward, right? Keeping games close, relying on their defense, leading into their defense. They had a play early in that game where, you know, it was Pittsburgh's first offensive snap. It looked like they had a safety. They didn't challenge it. I think if they had, they would have gotten those two points there. But they did a good job getting him ready for this game. It didn't seem overwhelming. They got the win. They have a favorable schedule going forward. And so I think they're probably comfortable with him. I know they added Joe Flacco. That's more of a depth, like emergency quarterback type of move here. I think they seem comfortable with DTR. He seemed comfortable in that offense. And I think as we get through the next couple of weeks, they'll probably open things up a little bit more for him each week. Uh, you mentioned the Monday Nighter last night. Uh, I imagine a certain level of uh, football nirvana, seeing a uh, Super Bowl rematch, potentially even a Super Bowl preview, to be honest. Um, but let's go through uh, the the interception there. Is that just a great play by Kevin Byard? It is a very good play. Very good play by Byard. I think sort of from Mahomes' perspective, he might have been able to complete that, you know, if he had put a little bit more on it, uh, to be honest. I mean, I, I think it was a throw where – you know, like I said, Bayer did a very good job to read that, to read his eyes, to get himself to the football. But I think, you know, if you were to sit Patrick Mahomes down right now and say, hey, you know, you know, th this game didn't go the way you want. 
you know, what do you think you could have done better? What do you think you could have, you know, improved? What could have you, you done differently? I think you would have said, look, I got to put that right on him. You know, I, I've really got to put that right on him between the eight and the four, you know, drill that in there. We took a little bit off of it. Now, sort of, you know, when you're walking through the game, the play, and you're seeing how the coverage unfolds, you might sort of understand why he's, you know, trying to place it a little bit because you've got, it's not really an underneath defender so much in trail. He kind of comes off of it a bit because it's more of a zone structure and this defender's trying to match it, but he's still going to get it over him. So he's trying to take a little bit off trajectory wise to place it. But I think Mahomes would say, look, next time I've got to put a little more heat on this. Um, so Bayer made a great play. Obviously, you know, when you're reading the quarterback's eyes like this in the zone structure and you're doing it against Patrick Mahomes, you've made a pretty darn good play. But I think Mahomes would say, look, I, I need a little bit more heat on this one. Were the conditions kind of uh, set up in a way that you're not really taking a lot out of what we saw from Hurts or Mahomes? Yeah, I mean, when you evaluate quarterbacks sort of from a draft perspective, you want to see how they play in weather. Sure. But when you sort of take a step back and now they're in the NFL and these are two established quarterbacks and I don't think anybody's, you know, absent perhaps the most hardcore you know, pessimistic of fans saying that these are, you know, bad quarterbacks or anything like that. These are two of the game's best. I don't think you're going to look at the results last night, some of the throws and missed opportunities, you know, both receivers missed some throws and say, oh, you know, they, they played bad games. The conditions were really tough. You know, I think the conditions contributed to a lot of what we saw last night, you know, whether it's fumbles, dropped throws, missed opportunities in the passing game. You know, Mahomes had some misses, Hurts had some misses. So not going to read too much. Um, into the bottom line production. But look, we're getting into that part of the schedule where, you know, both of these teams play outdoors. You know, you might get an AFC championship game, you know, at the same stadium in a couple of months here. You might get an outdoor NFC championship game again at, at the link, and you might have weather conditions to deal with. And so, you know, it's certainly something to keep in mind if we do encounter such circumstances down the road. Uh, but I do think the elements, like you said, played a role in what we saw last night. Uh, last one for me. Uh, just uh, you, you, you mentioned Trevor Lawrence. That offense uh, on the weekend, it, it just didn't feel as compressed. Um, and and maybe part of it is Lawrence using the legs. But but what? Why were they able able to put up thirty four against Tennessee? I think they did a lot of things, sort of structurally. That you know, getting Ridley involved. I think using Lawrence. Um, it helps you, especially when you get down to the red zone or in short yardage situations, you because know, this is an, an offense that was struggling in short yardage situations, particularly trying to run the football. On our Monday football show, my dear friend J.P. Acosta, my co-host here, he's a Jacksonville fan, and we talked about how they were near the bottom of the league in success rate running the football, particularly in short yardage situations. Very much similar to the Buffalo Bills in recent years, right, where they're struggling to run the ball, so what do they do? they lean into Josh Allen's legs a little bit. So when you get yourself an opportunity at a fresh set of downs by using the quarterback's legs, that's going to allow you to open some things up. It's going to give the defense one more thing to think about, and especially when you start spreading them out a little bit. Like you said, they weren't as compressed. It's going to create some light boxes for the quarterback. So it was very nice to see that from Jacksonville. I want to see more of that going forward. I know, look, Lawrence is a little bit banged up. He's got had a knee throughout this season, but he's a very athletic quarterback extremely athletic quarterback and that just gives that offense one more element for opposing defensive coordinators to worry about 
Uh, he is Mark Schofield. I always love chatting with with him on uh, Tuesdays. And uh, Thursday's going to be a lot of fun, uh, Mark. Uh, so uh, happy Thanksgiving and uh, hope you uh, I- enjoy all the uh, turkey and uh, three games of football. It is going to be a fantastic holiday. It's one of my favorites. I, I thank you so much for uh, for wishing me the, giving me the good wishes there. It's going to be three great games. We also, interestingly enough, it's the 30th anniversary of the Sleep Bowl. You remember that one? You know, Cowboys, Dolphins, the blocked field goal with Leon Lett. Oh, my goodness. That wow. was 30 years ago this Thanksgiving. So, you know, I've actually got something coming up on that that will go up Wednesday looking back at the Sleep Bowl. And, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun because I remember watching that game at my, yeah. my great-grandmother's house. It, it was fun to watch. So it was fun to look back at that. Amazing. Uh, all right. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that. Uh, at Mark Schofield on your socials. Uh, talk soon, pal. Thanks so much, my friend. Enjoy the game since Thursday. Great stuff, as always, from our good friend Mark Schofield, uh, at Mark Schofield on social media. Make sure you give him a follow. Uh, all right, Tuesday, we do it. Bick's best NFL power rankings going into week number 12. Uh, let's start it off at number 10 on our way to number one. Pittsburgh Steelers, they hold true here. I know it's a loss. They make this change at offensive coordinator. I like what they're building. It, 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 hopefully this offensive change finally sparks a little bit more creativity from this offense. They're one of the most basic units. It's an upgrade in offensive coordinator. They'll get Mika Fitzpatrick back. They hold true in the top 10. They lose to the Cleveland Browns who come in at number 9 again. They got a good unit. They got that defensive side of the football. DTR, I'm curious to see how basic they keep it for them. And if they're able to execute simple stuff, they have a running game. They can keep it easy on him. Play field position. Let the defense go to work. Miles Garrett's having this defensive player of the year type season. That'll keep him in games, and they can win late. Kevin Stefanski, they give him his credit. He's doing a fantastic job. He's got he's got them here at number nine. I'm putting the Jaguars at number eight here. Big, big game for them. Divisional game. You go win that one. Yeah, it's the Tennessee Titans. They're having this tough year, obviously. But showed out in a big way. Because there's a lot of questions on what this offense can look like. Having some struggles there. 34 points is 34 points. So a good one for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Going to be interesting to see Houston this week, how they play. They got Cincinnati, they got Cleveland, they got Baltimore all coming up. Maybe they slide back down a bit. But nevertheless, a good showing for the Jaguars. Pushes them up to eight. The Bills, we're boosting them back up to seven. I still want to see it again, but... At least they can showcase when they handle the ball and they don't turn it over. They are a dangerous, dangerous threat. And the best version of Josh Allen uh, is always going to keep them in the mix. I want to see a high-variance version of this team because if if they're flying, it's going to be tough for a lot of teams to put up 30, even with that defense that's having some issues. This Bills offense can put up 30. And in today's NFL... The scoring low, if, if you're putting up 28, 30 points, uh, you're going to be on the right side of results more often than not. Number six, Detroit Lions coming in at number six. They rally in that game. Yeah, it was tough, and yeah, it's the Chicago Bears. They go and get that W. Was it a look-ahead spot, getting ready for Thanksgiving? Certainly uh, something that could make the argument for. Now you get Green Bay. Now you get New Orleans coming up. Another game against Chicago. This this Lions team, hey, they, they proved me wrong. I thought they'd hover around 9-8. and eight. Maybe win the division, be a close battle there with the Packers or the Vikings. They're pulling away right now. And 
That offensive line is a beast. Five, Miami Dolphins. Jalen Ramsey's back. You see his effectiveness in the secondary, getting some INTs. I was worried about Miami at a time where they ever pierced that true, true inner Super Bowl circle. If, with Ramsey back and that secondary showing out, there's a chance that they could step into that final four, but they're just on the outside of that final tier, which starts with the Kansas City Chiefs at number four. Lose yesterday. They can't score touchdowns in the second half. That's going to be a problem here. And just a little bit of a disconnect. Again, I keep mentioning this. This is a defensive team that happens to have Andy Reid as head coach, Travis Kelsey at tight end, and Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. But it is a strong defensive team. But you can't deny that there aren't issues right now passing the ball to wide receivers for the Kansas City Chiefs right now. You saw it on display yesterday. They got to get that corrected. They have time to do it. But as it stands, heading into week 12, they're number four. Put the Eagles at number three. Go get another road win. I know they they got one loss in the season. Shouldn't they be number one? I still think they have a weakness in their coverage, although Kevin Byard helps in a great deal. He gets that INT yesterday. That's a nice acquisition from Tennessee. They're looking good. Number two, San Francisco 49ers. Trent Williams coming back has been a huge help, obviously, to that offense. And they keep rolling. Chase Young, Nick Bosa looking fantastic like they did in college. They got that chemistry going immediately on the defensive line. The injury to Hufanga in the secondary might prove a bit of a problem, but early returns uh, from the backup proved okay. And number one, it's Baltimore Ravens. Big win on Thursday. They right now are the class of the NFL, sitting at number one. Everything is going right for them. The injury to Mark Andrews hurts. Yes, better news today. Uh, Andrews could make a return late in the season, but situationally they're strong they got the best kicking game they got one of the best coaches in the league offensive coordinators mike mcdonald one of the best defense coordinators in the league offensive coordinator todd munkin one of the best in the league so they are strong and stout in every situation uh they are the number one on bix best here going into week 12 on the other side we'll talk to randy janda color commentator here on sports 650 for the vancouver canucks before we go though vancouver warriors lacrosse don't miss out on the best show in town for as low as $25 at tickets.vancouverwarriors.com. All on the way here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.